like to speak this morning on the subject, the greatest birth of all. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his brethren, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in the blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Here in Isaiah chapter 9, obviously it follows the previous eight chapters a time of great darkness for the nations of Israel and Judah. We note here when enemies threaten God's people, they're delivered by God's shining light in the gloomy darkness of this world. In the previous chapters, everything looked hopeless. A spirit of fear and distress gripped the hearts of God's people. They felt completely helpless for they were living in a war-torn land. Most of the nation had already fallen to the Assyrians who had swept across the land. Isaiah chapter 8 verses 7 and 8. Now therefore behold the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river strong and mighty even the king of Assyria and all his glory and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck and the stretching out of, the, of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land O Emmanuel. These certainly were dark days. The nation of Assyria had been used of God to bring judgment upon the Lord's people for their idolatry, iniquity, and immorality. As a result, they are facing a time of great anguish and distress. Nevertheless, Isaiah closed this prophecy with a most wonderful promise. The people would be delivered by God's light. His presence shining in the overwhelming darkness and despair of the world. In spite of the people's fear and apprehension, a birth of glorious nature lay ahead. And that, of course, is the birth of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, 
this passage here in chapter 9 picks up at the end of chapter 8, a time when the Assyrians had launched their attack on the nation of Israel. It was a time when Tiglath, Pileser III, attacked Israel in 735 and 732 BC. And the first two tribal areas to feel the brunt of that attack would have been those tribes to the north, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And how interesting that this was the area that would later become known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Although Isaiah only specifically referred to those two tribal territories, he's obviously talking about not only the entire nation of Israel, remember Israel and Judah divided, but all making up the uh, the ten tribes of the nation of Israel. But in addition to that, he's speaking of the benefit of the Messiah's birth in relation to all mankind. Yes, the context is talking about Israel specifically, but it does apply to all mankind in regard to the Messiah coming to be the Savior of the world. Amazingly, Isaiah makes this prediction about the Messiah some 700 years before Christ came to the earth. Like many of Isaiah's prophecies, these seven verses are written in the past tense. Not until the last verb of verse 7, did Isaiah use the, the, the future tense? Notice it's verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Notice the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's the first reference to this prophecy being fulfilled in the future. Everything else to this point in these verses, Isaiah is speaking as though it already happened, it already took place. Now we note in this passage of scripture, it talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse six, verses 6 and 7, two of the most well-known verses in the book of Isaiah, which we're going to get to at a later time. But this morning, I'd like us to concentrate on the first five verses of this passage and look at four wonderful blessings that will be poured out upon Israel and the world as a result of the Messiah's coming. Notice with me in these verses, we'll see that he comes to give light to all who were in darkness and under the shadow of death. We see that beginning in verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Darkness in Scripture is a symbol. It's a symbol of sin, of evil and of ignorance. It's interesting to note, the Bible tells us God is light. Jesus Christ is identified as the light of the world. We as believers in Christ are referred to as the light of the world. Light and darkness are complete opposites. Light, representing God, is all that is good, righteous, holy, just. God is absolutely pure. Darkness, which represents sin and iniquity, is the complete opposite of God and His righteousness. But it tells us the people walked in 
darkness. These were the people of God. These were the people that God called His own. These were His chosen people, and yet they have put themselves in a position where they're walking in darkness. They're walking in iniquity. They're walking in unrighteousness. And this was a choice that they made as a people to turn away from the Lord and follow idolatry and wickedness. People who walk in darkness are ignorant of their own sinful condition. I don't say that as a way to be hateful or condescending to those who are in darkness. It is a matter of truth for the God of this world has blinded the minds and the hearts of all those who know not Jesus Christ as their Savior. John chapter 1 verse 4, the scripture declares, In Him, in Jesus Christ, in Him was life. And the life was the light of of men. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is that one who illuminates our hearts, who shows us the truth, who reveals to us his message of salvation, and gives us the privilege of becoming his children. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Then the opposite of that, of he who's walking in darkness, is what? is not following the Lord Jesus Christ, is not a follower, a disciple of his. John 12, 46, Jesus again said, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Yes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting light. Believing that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Believing he is the one who illuminates our hearts. Believing he is the one who reveals our sin to us for the Holy Spirit of God was sent to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Jesus Christ is that light that shines into our hearts and pulls us, um, releases us, if you will, or redeems us from the dark one. No longer are we children of darkness, but we are children of light. What a great joy to know. The Messiah came into the world to bring light to those living in darkness. Ephesians 5.14, Paul declared, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Beloved, Jesus Christ came to give light to all who are in darkness and under the shadow of death. What a blessed message we can share with people this time of year, as well as all year long. But again, I mentioned earlier, Jesus isn't just meant to be a a sweet-sounding story about a little baby in a manger. No, he is the Messiah who was born into this world. Light has come to man that we no longer need to fear the dark. We no longer need to walk in darkness. People easily misunderstand this concept. In fact, uh, the guidebook description of Salisbury, Connecticut from back in the 18th century indicates a misunderstanding here about the purpose of light. Quote, Settled early 18th century, a charming old village. Until recently, town was without streetlights. 
when movement was started to install electricity on Main Street, a woman of the opposition said, Seems to me, if I were being chased by a stranger, I'd rather it were dark. Again, the idea that darkness will somehow hide us, it will somehow protect us. No, according to Scripture, it's the light that redeems us. It is the light that frees us. It is the light of God's love that makes us his children. Oh, what a joy to know we can be a part of the family of God because Jesus came to bring light to those in darkness. Not only that, but look with me at verse 3, if you would. We see that Messiah came as well to enlarge the nation of believers. Verse 3, thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. The context here, due to the ravages of war, the population had been drastically diminished. And you know, that's been the lot of the Jew throughout time. You recognize there are only 18 million Jews living in the world today. Six million, roughly, inhabit the promised land. The other 12 million are scattered around the world. My, oh my, when you think about that, how their ranks have been reduced because of the oppression because of the attacks, because of the wicked one, their enemy who has sought to destroy them. Well, the promise was that the population would thrive, even be multiplied when the Messiah came. Now understand, again, in the context, this is referring to the time of the millennial reign of Christ, the second coming of our Lord when the Jews will have the privilege of sitting under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will be seated on the throne of David and will rule the world with a rod of iron. Yes, righteousness will reign over this world during the millennial kingdom. And the Jews will be greatly increased in number during that time. However, That event in the future is dependent upon the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his birth into the world. For we see this passage deals with both comings of the Lord Jesus Christ, his first and his second. And it was his first coming that impacts the world spiritually, if you will, and allows that multitude of believers to increase and to be advanced as a result of the message of salvation being made available to not just one race of people, but to all peoples everywhere. God help the individual, man or woman, scholar or whatever, who deems it unnecessary or inappropriate to spread the gospel message to whosoever will. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we see that over and over and over again in Scripture. The Messiah came in His second coming. It's referring to the Jewish nation, of course, as well as the rest of the world. But the first coming is the relief that's brought to those who are in darkness. They have the privilege of receiving the light of the Lord. And as a result, the numbers of believers is going to swell. It's going to expand. It's going to multiply. For many, like those of us here today, as well as millions others, came to realize as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. 
God, even to them that believe on His name. It's not a matter of race. It's not a matter of economic status. It's not a matter of political persuasion. It's not a matter of our social standing. has nothing to do with what member of a church you are. doesn't have anything to do with baptism, what we give, how long we've been in a church, how good we live, how good a life we live. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. What a great promise from our Lord himself to hear and to believe. The mandate then is that people would come under the sound of the gospel message and they would recognize that God in truth has given them the opportunity to turn from darkness unto light and as a result simply need to believe in this wondrous message, the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. John wrote of this in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John, the book of assurance. And there are a number of things written in this book that give us great assurance in the Lord. But one of them is very important. Well, they're all very important. One of them here I mentioned, 1 John chapter 5 verse 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Let me stop there. That is a very clear, concise, understandable statement. You have the Son, you have eternal life. You don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. How do you get the Son? Of course, by trusting in Him as your Savior. Verse 13 goes on to say, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye might know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Isn't it wonderful this morning to know we have, present tense, right now, eternal life, as a result of Jesus Christ making us a new creature in him. You don't have to go through life uncertain, unsure, doubting, wondering, questioning, saying, what if? Well, maybe. I don't know, but I hope. All we as Christians can declare, not based on our own righteousness, but on the truth of the word of God. I know I'm on my way to heaven. What a great, great truth to behold. The Messiah came. One of the blessings of the Messiah's coming was that he enlarged the nation of believers. We're grateful today to know people all around the globe are being saved as a result of turning to Jesus Christ as their Savior. Note with me in verse 4, the third of these great wonders, the Messiah's coming would deliver all who are under the yoke of bondage or oppression. Hi, this is good news. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. 
Again, in the context, the children of God, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, they were under great oppression as a result of the Assyrian enemy coming into their territory. And it hadn't been as such since the days of the Midianites when Gideon was used as a judge to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Midian. God gave victory then, and God will again grant victory. But the good news is, this is not just talking about the bondage of political or national oppression. This is talking about the bondage of sin. What a joy to know Jesus Christ was born into this world to deliver mankind from their sin. You see, when someone gets saved, they're delivered from the penalty of sin. Now, don't misunderstand, we're all sinners. Lost or saved, everybody's a sinner. But as a saved person, we will no longer be judged for our sin. For our sin was dealt with on the cross. When Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world, we acknowledge he died for our sin and therefore my sin was nailed to the cross with him and I will be accountable for that sin no more. I and every believer alike have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Oh, we look forward to the day when God will call us to heaven, whether through the grave or the rapture, whichever will be fine. But when we get to be with the Lord, what a joy to know we're going to be delivered from the presence of sin. No more sin. No more unrighteousness. No more iniquity. No more foul language. No longer will we hear the Lord's name taken in vain. For we will only glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is worthy to receive glory and honor and praise as none other in this world or throughout time and eternity. What a joy to know we'll stand before God and be free from the presence of sin. But in this life, we still have to struggle with the power of sin. Jesus warned his disciples, declaring, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Every one of us struggle with sin. Saved by the grace of God, but we still have to deal with the temptations, the allures, the pleasures, the attractions of this world. Temptation on every hand. Romans 6 6 tells us, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. One of the blessings of the Messiah's birth, of Christ coming to the world, not only to save us, to deliver us from darkness but to free us from the power of sin. For as we walk in the Spirit, as we walk as children of light, walking circumspectly, walking in an, a godly manner, no longer is sin affecting us. The problem is when we're distracted, when we stray from that straight and narrow path, when we wander out into the filth of this world, Remember this story of Peter and the disciples. They were in the boat one night and they saw Jesus coming to them walking on the water. And the story tells us that Peter said, Oh, if you be the Christ, bid me to come to thee. The Lord said, Well, come on in. 
Peter hopped out of the boat, and amazing, he walked on water. Only two people to ever live have walked on water. Problem for Peter, and we don't know what caused him to be distracted. We know the elements had a part in it, but we don't know if it was pride. We don't know if it was amazement, fear. But for whatever reason, he took his eyes off the Lord. I would imagine when he got out of that boat, he was fixed on Christ. He had his, Christ had his full attention. But then he felt the water spraying on his face. He felt the wind blowing by him. And he looked around and saw the storm was still present. And as a result, what happened? He began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Peter got his eyes off the Lord. We are in danger of, like Peter, sinking into the filth, the muck and mire of this world when we get our eyes off Jesus. We are admonished to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As long as we look to him, as long as we seek to please him, the power of sin will have no effect on us. But how can we get our eyes off the Lord when we forget about him and think only of ourselves, our interests, our desires, our wants, our demands, then we find ourselves struggling in this matter of sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 11 goes on to say, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as, as instruments of righteousness unto God. All notice, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Yes, the Messiah came. And in his coming, one of the blessings is that sin no longer has power over us. As long as we continue to look to him, as long as we continue to obey him. You know, the Bible tells us never, or the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere, to flee Satan. What does the scripture say about that? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Picture a little kid on a playground being maybe pushed around by bullies and stuff and all of a sudden he turns and runs to his dad's side. And he feels there's no safer place on the planet to be than right next to his father. For us as Christians, there's no safer place to be than next to our heavenly father. In the center of God's will, obeying him fully. All the joy of knowing our Savior will protect us and keep us from the sin of this world as long as we walk with him. 2 Timothy 4.18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. The fourth blessing that we see as a result of the Messiah coming in this passage is verse 5. 
For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in his blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Yes, the Messiah is coming, brings with it the blessing of peace to the people and nations of the world. Again, in its context, it's talking about soldiers' garments still wet with blood will be burned in the fire. All military equipment and uniforms will be cast aside and burned. Peace will sweep over the earth. And true it is, during the millennial reign of Christ, the God of peace will rule. But the Messiah also brings peace to all mankind. And what peace is this? This is the peace of God. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is as well the peace of God. Philippians 4.6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus Yes, the peace of God is available to everyone who would submit, who would surrender him or herself to the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Jesus in Rome in John chapter 14 verse 27 said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Again in 1633, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Isaiah in chapter 53 declares he was wounded For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That tells us this world, though it makes many promises, can never grant peace. Peace is only available to those who trust in Jesus Christ, that Prince of Peace. What a joy to know anyone and everyone may experience the blessing of God's peace, but they have to come to Jesus Christ in order to obtain it. That peace of God, it will help us through the trials, struggles, and difficulties of any and every day we enter into. Story is told of Nicholas Ridley who in 1555 was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. On the night before his execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he wanted to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life. He could do so because he knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord to meet his need. Many people will go go to great lengths to attain peace. Medicine, exercise, seminars, retreats, hiding in remote places, an attempt to avoid conflict with others. But peace can only come through 
the Lord Jesus Christ. The four great blessings that come as a result of the Messiah. He came to give light to those in darkness. He came to increase the numbers of the believers. He came to deliver us from the bondage of sin. And he came to bring peace. Now again, keep in mind, this prophecy is being predicted by Isaiah some 700 years before the Christ, the Messiah, ever came. And we're going to see in our next time together that he goes on to speak of the glorious light and joy and victory available to God's people. But here he lays the groundwork. All the work that Jesus Christ did in order to be that Messiah, that deliverer of all people. Yes, Jesus Christ, our great Messiah. What a blessing to know. If we've trusted Christ as Savior, we share in the joy of these great events that result from his birth, the first coming of our Messiah. And as the scripture declares, the Lord hath come, He is coming again. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly.